Views expressed on this program are those of the sponsors and do not necessarily reflect the views of the station. Discussions in this show should not be construed as specific recommendations or investment advice. Always consult with your investment professional before making important investment decisions. Securities offered through Cambridge Investment Research Incorporated, a registered broker-dealer, member FINRA and SIPC. Investment Advisor Representative, Cambridge Investment Research Advisors Incorporated, a registered investment advisor. Indices mentioned are unmanaged and cannot be invested into directly. Asset allocation and diversification strategies cannot assure profit or protect against loss. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. Capital Retirement Strategies and Cambridge Investment Research are not affiliated. All right. Welcome to Plan for Life Now, the podcast. I am one of your hosts, Steve Kiliani. And I'm Dave Murray. Here we go. We haven't done one in a while. It's been a couple weeks, but frankly, we've been pretty busy. We have been busy doing our job. Right. So Which makes this, if this were actually became a super popular podcast, we mm-hmm. would be one of the few financial people who would do something super popular, who actually work with people. Yeah. That's true. Because <laughs> As opposed a lot to being the... purely punditry, where you don't actually work with clients and you sort of pontificate. Yeah, and that... <laughs> we work with clients and sort of pontificate. I used to talk about this columnist. I think he might actually be back, but I thought he retired. This guy, Alan Sloan, yeah. he was on Money.com. He has an art Like, he's on the Sunday business section in the Post. Oh, no, no, no. I'm thinking of... Somebody different, not Alan Sloan, because he's, yeah, you're right. He's in the Washington Post. It'll come to me, the guy I'm thinking, Walter Up the Grave, right? I used to rave on, or rant on this guy before. And he would make these recommendations on uh, money.com. And I, I, he, I had clearly never sat down with a single live person in his life, right? He just, you know, a good writer, good at doing research. All this kind of stuff, but it wasn't, you know, it was clear that he'd never sat down with a real person and dealt with a real situation. Right. So, it's anyway. what you and I find when we look at the, if I look at the top pundits right. who never meet clients, I'll always say, yeah, but that, <laughs> you obviously haven't met any clients or aren't dealing with looking at someone's, although every single radio show you listen to, and most people who do a TV show on this, or if they'll always say, you know, this may not be your situation. Yeah. There's always a disclaimer and no, doesn't sure. pertain. No, I'm not saying it's 100% bad advice all the time. It just hits us being in the industry sometimes a little right. tone deaf to reality. All right. Well, I had something today. I don't even know how to introduce this uh, because it's something I stumbled across. It's actually pretty old. Um, the the date on it of when this was written was back in 2003. That's 14 right. years ago. So you're talking quite a while ago. Ooh. I'd never seen this particular piece before, and I stumbled across it just reading stuff on the internet. And it doesn't matter that it's from 2003. It can be from whenever. But I thought it was pretty fascinating. So I'm going to break this down, and I'm going to read the first part to everybody, and then we'll pause and obviously throw in our commentary here. Um, But this was written by a a guy called William Bernstein. And William Bernstein, you know, I saw this, I 
you know, I go, ah, gosh, I kind of know that name. What, you know, where do I know this from? Well, he's a, uh, he's an author. So he writes about personal finance. He's got a number of books. He's got something in the, the mid nineties he introduced called the coward's portfolio, which is basically this, you know, mix of things. Um, he had the four pillars of investing, um, bunch of different books investors manifesto that was one that that i think i've read before um so he's written all these books and this was written like i said in the year 2003 having spent nearly a decade writing about investment management for the little guy i have come to the conclusion that i no longer believe in my basic premise the basic premise of my public persona a decade ago I really did believe that the average investor could do it himself. After all, the flesh was willing, the vehicles were available, and the math wasn't that hard. I was wrong. Okay. All right. So pause there. And I mean, that's a good premise for everyone in our business right now. (laughs) Well, but I mean, he's, you know, if you haven't read any or even heard of any of his books, they are about how the little guy can do this how you can do it yourself and put together a plan. Um, and that's what he's spent, you know, up to that point, I've checked on what he's been doing since then, but he he had spent all his career writing about that and talking about how the little guy can put together their own portfolio. So that's the premise of where he starts. All right, so picking this up again, having emailed and spoken to thousands of investors over the years, right, I've come to the sad conclusion that only a tiny minority, at most 1%, are capable of pulling it off. So this is someone... So he's basically saying one out of 100 people can successfully invest their money, I guess he's assuming over a long period of time, by themselves. Correct. And I mean, this is, you know, I mean, this is for him saying thousands of people, that's still, that's a pretty good sample size there. You know, anecdotally, we've dealt with this and talked to a lot of people where you have these conversations, you look at long-term results in the market, you look at data that shows the inability to time the market, and these are smart people, these are people who understand things well, they look at that and then they can in the next breath say, I'm just going to get out of the market right now because right. things aren't looking good. Right. Plus, you know this was written in 2003 because in the post-era of Trump-Clinton, anyone admitting they were wrong about anything in the public persona, it does not happen. Yeah. People not say, hey, I had all these things I wrote. That was all wrong. You don't right. see that in this day and age. You're saying that back then people were willing to admit they were wrong. Exactly. All right. So he kind of laid out the case originally saying – Listen, you know, the people, if they're willing, the vehicles are available, right? This is, we're not talking about the 1930s where, you know, investment vehicles are hard to come by and there were only a certain number of brokerage houses. We're talking about the early 2000s. You've got an abundance of mutual funds, ETFs, stocks, bonds, discount brokerages. The vehicles are out there. And like we said, the math isn't that hard. You know, the math showing you that trying to get in and out, timing the market, it just really doesn't work. Okay. Okay. So, picking up with what he's saying again, 
Why the sad state of affairs? It's pretty simple. To invest competently, you need to be able to do these four things. Right? Here we go. So here we go with the four things that you have to be able to do Oof. if you're going to be <laughs> now able to. Now I'm nervous because I told you not to share any of this with me. We just do it during the podcast. I hope we're online. I hope we're in in line with these things. We'll see. Okay. Well, let's start. Number one, an interest in investing. Right? Okay. If, if it, you're not interested in something, how good are you going to be at it? Right? Yeah, not. That goes for any line of work. <laughs> well, that's what he says. It's no different from cooking, gardening, parenting, blah, blah, blah. If you don't enjoy it, you're going to do a lousy job. Right? right? So that's an easy one, though. I mean, we talk to some people, and they know themselves well, and they go, I really don't like this stuff. It's boring. It's just it's not my right. cup of tea. Right? And they know Absolutely. themselves well, and they say that. And then we talk to a fair number of people. They love this stuff. They do their full-time job, and they're also very into right. investing, and they're looking at all this stuff, and they're reading, and they're, right. you know. I think it's interesting that we have clients across the spectrum yeah. on that. Absolutely. All right, so you've got the interest there. Now, as he says, do you have the horsepower to do the math, right? Um, as somebody, he references this person, Scott Burns, I'm not sure exactly who that is, um, explained to me years ago, fractions are difficult for 90% of the population. <laughs> How about the discounted dividend equation or uh, geometric versus arithmetic return, standard deviation, correlation, not going to happen. So, right. you know, you're interested, but now you've got to have you don't have to be a PhD in mathematics, but you've got to have a pretty strong understanding of the math side of things. Especially things like fractions and percentages. <laughs> Do you I, need to understand the mathematics of standard deviation to be a successful investor? I don't personally think so. No, but, but I you do think, need to understand the concept yeah, when it comes to something. You got to understand the concept, right? right? Okay. So you you've got your interest, you've got you know, a little bit of, has, as he puts it, a horsepower in math, the knowledge base, right? So what the knowledge base is, and he lists off a, a bunch of things that mean a lot to me, but not to everybody, Fama, French, Thaler, Bogle, Schiller, seven decades worth of, worth of evidence-based financial knowledge, right? You've got to understand how the research has progressed, and I, I think this, you know, we're going down this list here, and I think it that gets, one is right. It was written in two thousand three. We still talk about that stuff today. We talk about it. That all the one time. is a direct hit with us. Yeah, and a lot of people, you know, they have the interest. They they can do some math, but then what they get caught up in is CNBC and Kiplinger's and Money Magazine. And all that stuff, which is is just <laughs> it's not the hardcore academic research that's been done, that's been vetted, that's been retested. That's sort of the the fluff, you know, the the not real substantial stuff when it comes to finance. So understanding how this academic research has progressed and therefore influenced the way that you should invest is pretty critical. Right, So we've got the interest, we've got the ability to do math, we've got the knowledge base. Now, 
here comes the dagger of it all. Uh-oh. <laughs> For a lot of people, the emotional discipline to execute faithfully come hell or high water. Uh, Jack Bogle, founder of Vanguard, makes it sound easy. Stay the course. <laughs> Stay the course. Right? right? Yes. Alas, it is not so right. easy. Now, this is where... Now, actually, we're starting to get to the point where people who listen to our podcast a lot would know this about us or our clients. A lot of you are are both listening mm-hmm. to this. Yeah, the emotional part sounds easy in retrospect, and I would I hate to say impossible. I would say virtually impossible when it's your own money to to be able to do on your own right. without guidance. No, it, it makes it much harder when it's your own money. You're making decisions that you're emotional about, and it's difficult to, you know, to protect yourself from making a mistake in those emotional times. And like we we talk about our memory. I mean, it's hard to remember a year ago, right? What was going on in the stock market a year ago? What about? eight years ago or nine years ago, whatever we're going on now since the financial crisis. A lot of people have forgotten how they felt. And even the way that they felt then was different because they were younger. They had longer to go before they actually retired. Imagine that happens again and you're your current age and you're getting that much closer to retirement or you're in retirement. Yeah, but look at Look at this guy's, Mr. Bernstein's impetus for even writing this at this point. It came out in 2003. He's just emerging from the 90s of writing how people could do this on their own. As you got farther and farther away from a crisis that might have been 1988 when the crash was in 87. And then the tech bubble. This is right coming out of the tech bubble when this was written in 2003. Exactly. So that was probably the impetus, the emotional scenario of where they were then and what he saw and uh <laughs> as you get years removed from that emotion it's easier and easier to think you could do all this stuff on your own yeah so i mean he makes the case he says you know he thinks i expect no more than 10 percent of the population passes muster on each of the above points and you've got to string them all together thus in that case <laughs> your chance of success would be 0.01%, right? Even an optimist who would guess that there was a 30% chance on each would bring you to that 1% of the population can handle doing all four of those. And he goes on here to expand and talk about, you know, what makes this worse. Um, Let me jump down here. Head down to the personal finance section of your local Barnes & Noble. Um, they still have Barnes and Noble, right? That one has. I think gone. it's closing in Bethesda. Is it really? That's what my wife told me. Oh, I was going to say the great Barnes and Noble in Bethesda, Maryland. For those of you who live wow. up in Montgomery County, it's where you just used to go when you went out to dinner in Bethesda. Then right. you'd go and to the you Barnes just and Noble. Walk around. I think it's closing. That's wow. what my wife said. Don't. It's not official from the business section of the Post. That's Dave's wife. <laughs> <laughs> well, she does a lot of shopping, so I trust she knows her a lot. Though I trust her too. She knows. Um, Head down to the personal finance section of your local uh, Barnes & Noble and you're much more likely to run into Susie Orman than you are, Susie Orman Books, than Jack Bogle. You'll need a telescope to find the really important stuff. Worse, I'm here to tell you that the last condition, 
the ability to deploy the emotional game is completely independent of all the other three, which were the interest, the knowledge, right. the, the mathematical ability. Um, and he says, I wish I had a nickel for every smart, savvy, motivated financial type who simply didn't have the emotion to execute. Um, I wanted to go down here because there was a nice dig at CNBC <laughs> somewhere in here, which you know we all often talk about how, yeah, it's entertaining to watch. Right, you but know, it you, was. I remember my friend who was like a lawyer but really a day trader during the <laughs> – the bull run of the 90s and at CNB, everybody had CNBC on all that. That was like such a big thing. Yeah. Maybe that's what got CNBC where it is now was the bull run of the 90s. So you could see why, because, wow, I'm looking at all my money continue to gain. <laughs> I'm looking at Lucent go up to whatever it went up to. Oh, everybody was just looking at, oh, did I make 30% this year or did I make 50%? You know, it was crazy. All right. In my opinion, this is back to William Bernstein's uh, article. What does he call it? The prob- probability of success or confessions of a personal finance writer. Um, in my opinion, about the only way to disseminate financial competency um, among more than a few percent of the population would involve totalitarian methods. He's, you know, he's being a little bit facetious here. Right. Establishing an efficient markets propagand- propaganda ministry. Investment re-education camps would be set up um, featuring several hours a day of remedial math and statistics. All right. So he's joking around here, basically saying if this stuff isn't forced into you, you're just you're not going to have a real good grasp and understanding of it. Um, yeah, I mean, it, I it goes I mean, on and on. But, okay, but you know, the, the bottom line is, you know, what he's basically getting at is, for all these other things, it's the emotional part that's really the kicker. There's a bunch of things, skills you need to have. The emotional part is super hard. Mm-hmm. We've certainly seen in our years of practice the exact same thing. Yep. Even though that was written in 2003 and this is 2017, nothing has changed. The only difference is, you know, and then it's on the advisor. Our basic philosophy to like pull the curtain behind is that we are going to tangibly put together a plan that's going to deal with your emotion when things plummet. Right. And that we're doing the best we can at, to basically prepare you psychologically. We have evidence. We'll have evidence that says you can withstand this because this is how we put a plan together. Not just because we're saying it'll get better. Because saying it'll get better does nothing for the investor's emotion. No. Because they could easily say, well, what if it doesn't? You have to have a basic game plan for what if it doesn't. And at the same time, anyone who comes to us has enough, I'm not going to say sense, but the way they think about their money is things could go down in the future. Certainly, by way, I'm saying thinking about your money in 2017. Things could go down in the future, and I'm getting older, (laughs) and I'm retiring sooner retired. I better plan for it yeah and i think that's a critical thing to reiterate is you know having this plan in place where you can point to specific things and say listen market's getting crushed right now no you know there's no way to get around that but you've got this much income coming in you've got this much in bonds and cash and more conservative things it might take five years for the market to recover might take six or seven years but if that's the case We've got enough in the other buckets. Right. But 
you're now fighting against this huge emotion. It's been 2000. We've gone up every year. Right. And people always forget. Yeah. So the reality is we're in a, in a position right now where you say, because Steve and I obviously meet a lot of people, and I don't mean you listening to this particularly, but the general, my, four, my 401k is doing great. Right. My TSP is doing, but that TSP is doing great. That IRA, my IRA is doing great as if the, the, the wrapper of the investment was the investment, and it's just doing great. Right. Versus an historical look at, and then an overall look at your own plan about how you're going to go forward. That emotion, from your point of the consumer's point of view, to even make a plan. When, when emotion's telling you, I'll just, well, when things get bad, when things start to go down, I got to do something. Yeah. That's the normal reaction. To be able to do something when things aren't going down, that now even to even come in the door. <laughs> to a financial advisor with that much sense yeah, well, is those, not everybody. It's under 40% of the people. Yeah, but I mean, those are the in type my of people that they, they might not meet these you know, four criteria here that we mentioned, but they do have that little voice in the back of their mind that says, you got to plan ahead. You got to plan for whatever contingencies, whatever things might happen. And that's all you really need. <laughs> That and a, a, you know, an honest, competent financial advisor. But if you've got that voice that tells you, ah, probably should prepare for all different scenarios. That's a good place to start. Yep. All right. Thanks for joining us. We will be off for spring break and hope to check in with you again next week. <laughs>